Welcome to the Nicolay Wealth Management Investment Podcast. On this episode, you will hear Adam Longley and Mike Steppe discuss the recent sell-off in equity markets, changes in inflation expectations, and the outlook for interest rates. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss the latest updates on investment management, the economy, and much more in this podcast hosted by Anthony Wellhelms of Nicolay Wealth Management. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Nicolay Wealth Management Podcast. I am your host, Anthony Wilhelms, and joining me as always are Mike Steppe and Adam Longlays with Nicolay Wealth Management. Mike and Adam, thank you for being here. Love it. Glad to be here. As always, there is a lot going on in financial markets with significant drawdowns, big up days, energy price changes, inflation readings, and we're going to get into all of it today. Get us started, Mike. Will you give us an update on what has happened in financial markets over the past few weeks? Anthony, it's been really interesting times in the financial markets. In the equity markets, we saw a solid rebound off the June lows. And that, since the middle of August, has sort of stalled. And the primary reason for that is the fears in the market that the Fed will tip the economy into a recession. That sort of intensified this week when the market was surprised by the CPI, the, the Consumer Price Index report on Tuesday morning. The headline report was two tenths higher than what the market expected. Again, the market always has a set of expectation. So when the news comes out, it's how did it do relative to that expectation? And the analysts had expected that gasoline price decreases would bring the reported level down more than what happened. So the other thing was excluding food and energy, the consumer price index ticked up. Now, the market looked at that and said, the Fed's going to react to this, and the Fed's going to push rates up. So what we saw was if you look at the S&P 500 as an example, it's down 6% this week um, since that announcement on Tuesday of the CPI. Two-year treasuries were trading at 357 on Monday night, and uh, on Friday, they were at 388, uh, an increase of 31 basis points. So we've seen big movements off that in the financial markets. And the reason is that people are building in more increases by the Fed. The market is thinking right now that we would see a 75 basis point increase at the September meeting, another 75 basis point increase at the November meeting, and somewhere between a 25 and a 50 basis point increase in in the December meeting. So we've got three meetings coming up before the end of the year by the Fed, and the market's thinking that that's going to be up 175 base, 1.75% to 2%. That comes on top of what the Fed has done so far over the last six months, where they've moved rates up by 2.25. So altogether, we're looking at a 4% increase in overnight rates. So that's what the market's reacting to, is this idea that the Fed is going to react by continuing to push rates up, and that's going to tip the economy into a recession. So that's the backdrop. I really appreciate the perspective on what the impact of the higher than expected inflation is on interest rates. Adam, do you want to jump in on that topic and speak to 
maybe the broader impact of higher inflation on the economy? Yeah, it's as inflation increases and things you buy every day cost more. Uh, it just leaves less money uh, for discretionary spending, uh, whether it's spend on services or whether it's to spend on goods. And ultimately, that's that's bad for the companies. It's bad for their earnings. Um, and anytime these companies don't earn as much as the market expects, um, it's likely that the, their stock prices would would go down. And and as the market's forward looking, we're seeing that today is this anticipation. Um, and ultimately, it, it, now we're beginning to see it happen. Um, you see it in companies most recently, a company like FedEx um, had a, you know, an earnings release and some forward guidance that was disappointing given the uncertainty and, and the environment we're in and not knowing uh, you know, with certainty what the future of that company looks like, the market you know, puts a higher discount rate on it and is willing to pay less. So you're seeing that flow through the, the equity markets in the last week or so, especially. Well, I'm excited to come back to talk about the equity markets. And when Mike said the S&P is down five, 6% this week, that's a, it's a painful topic, but it'll be good to dig into it. Mike, I'll come back to you with some comments about uh, forward-looking inflation. If the Fed is looking to increase rates three more times this year at, call it two to two and a quarter, or 1.75 to 2%, I think you indicated. Does that suggest yes. that we're going to continue to see high inflation going forward? Well, it's the Fed's attempt to slow things down. And so the Fed is pushing rates up. The, the impact, if you go back to what Adam said a minute ago, um, when you think about it, what that does to borrowers. So if you're running a construction company and a, a, you were going to build an apartment complex and that worked at you know prime rate at the beginning of March was three and a quarter percent. Prime rate probably by the beginning of October will be six and a quarter percent. So you've seen a noticeable change and some deals that would have worked at three and a quarter won't work at six and a quarter. And so that's gonna slow activity down in the market and that'll help bring down inflation. You'll have less need for these various things. And so that will, you know, that will dampen down inflation. So by bringing down economic activity. When you say six and a quarter for prime, so kind of thinking short-term borrowing rates with prime, um, and then are you indicating that by the end of the year, that number could be up over seven with the rate increases that are proposed? Well, right now prime's five and a half. I think it will go up to six and a quarter, probably as soon as, uh, next week, if you're looking at it thinking the Fed's going to announce a 75 basis point increase in overnight rates. So I would think that. I, I would think Prime will continue to go up. I don't know if it'll go over seven, but I think it's clearly going to go up. So that's, I appreciate the guidance there. Adam, I have a question that it seems like I, related to a phrase I hear all the time, uh, a soft landing or a hard landing related to how the Fed is able to cool the economy without crashing it. Is there a point at which rates keep going up and then it, it kind of uh, the recession solves for potential for recession solves for um, higher in, uh, higher inflation? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Mike gave a good example on commercial construction, but just think about 
one of the most rate sensitive parts of the economy is, is the housing market. And we've seen a lot of disruption there. So think about in the last two years, the price of the average home is up significantly. Interest rates have doubled. So take a person who buys the average house, puts 20% down. That monthly mortgage payment today is 100% higher than it was two years ago. It's, it's doubled. So in response, you've seen the, the run rate of new home construction right now is 20% less than it was in the beginning of the year. So you've seen that market slow significantly. So soft landing, hard landing, you're, you're seeing that activity kind of drop off a cliff there real fast. Um, and now you're seeing it in, starting to see it in, in new orders and manufacturing data and things like that. I think at, at the end of the day, whether it's um, what the recession looks like, how, how deep it is, how much contraction there is, is, is largely going to depend on what happens in the employment market. So I think we have some, some favorable things to, to think about. One is how tight the market is today, how many job openings there are today. So you could have uh, a meaningful reduction in job openings. You could have a meaningful amount of job layoffs from this point and still have a relatively healthy and tight labor market through the recession, which would be a, about a mild recession and um, won't, won't be too horrible for everyone who's able to maintain employment. Um, far, far different sort of um, circumstances than the global financial crisis and, and other, other more deep recessions. Stick with you on one question related to housing, Adam, then I have one uh, about uh, recession for both of you. Uh, if we see, like you say, mortgage payments going uh, to double, housing starts decreasing and cost of construction generally going up, while we still have presumably a meaningful housing shortage in the markets where most of the labor is needed, how does that loop get closed? And where does everybody live? Does it drive rents up? forever if no new stock comes online? You've seen that. Uh, rents are up, going up significantly, and that, that kind of follows what's happened in the housing market. But it, 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 in some ways, it's relative. You can say, oh, I'm going to rent because housing is too expensive. But if your rent keeps going up, all of a sudden, housing's um, you know more attractive. You know, So some options are you know, you've seen families live together. You've seen houses get smaller. I mean, there's... Um, borrowing money from from family to get to that 20 percent there's um, some people can do certain things but it's uh it's a it's a weird time i think it seems to always be a weird time in financial markets mike i'm going to come to you with the question about recession and it, it might be an anecdotal experience of mine but it seems like we are hearing more commonly people maybe acknowledging that a recession is relatively likely or so in the uh, in conversations or things I hear from analysts, it's the upcoming recession, not the potential for a recession someday in the future. And my question is related to if markets are pricing in the available information and it's becoming uh, maybe more acceptable that there may be a recession coming, might we be in a world where a recession is priced in? Sure, that could happen. When you look this year, at the beginning of the year, people have been talking all year about a recession this year in 2022. And I think, you know, all the data will show that there wasn't, there wasn't one. And so we're going to go into 2023. And what will come out of that is there's probably a 50% probability of a recession. Either way, if it's a mild recession, as Adam was talking about, uh, or sort of 
a slow growth mode like what we're experiencing today. Today, we're looking at about 1% GDP growth, real GDP. And when you look at that, that doesn't feel a lot different for the average person than a negative 1%. And so you're going to have this sort of slow growth mode, might qualify for a recession, might not. But it's, it's one that it's priced into the market that we're going to be slow. So, Adam, when we think about a recession, and especially one looking forward, um, what are the signals that you and our team in general look for that might indicate a more severe recession? To Mike's answer, which was really great, you look at things like the equity market fell 20% this year. That's a bear market. Uh, the fixed income market the yield curve is inverted. You look at the two-year treasuries yielding 40 basis points more than the 10-year. These are all things that usually happen before a recession. These are early warning signs. Um, so clearly, we're on the lookout. Now what we're looking at is GDP estimates, You know, estimates for global growth. Those are positive, but they're being revised lower. That's something we watch. We're looking at uh, earnings estimates for um, publicly traded companies. So companies in the S&P 500, um, next year earnings growth is still expected to be positive, but that's being revised lower. So we started with expecting 10% growth. Now we're expecting around seven. Um, this new tax increase um, will, will likely take on another one or two points of growth. So we're, we're continuing to watch that. And then we look at individual companies when they give guidance what what they expect because ultimately it all rolls up and, and that's how you get the market consensus but so we're, we're just kind of watching um every day for for leading indicators and, and different news that makes sense i appreciate all those those items mike come back to you with a question related to the yield curve inversion it sounds like it's gotten uh, i'm not sure worse is the right word more dramatic in the last week or so is there uh <laughs> Is there any turnaround in sight, whether it becomes a normal upward sloping yield curve where longer term rates are higher than shorter term rates, or just that the kind of the inversion becomes less steep? Right now we're between, it's sort of bouncing around, but right now we're between 45 and 50 basis points negative. So two-year treasury, two-year treasuries are at 388, 10-year treasuries are at 342. So when you, when you see that, that's fairly unusual. And you would think over time, it's likely to flatten. It's probably gonna flatten by longer rates ticking up. And when you think about it right now, the Fed is talking about uh, selling mortgage-backed securities. That could put more pressure on the, on, you know, upward pressure on longer term rates because the market has to absorb that. Again, you think back to a year ago, the Fed was by far the biggest buyer in the mortgage-backed market. Now, if they should be selling some stuff, that's going to push rates up. We've talked about that before, but it's you, you know, they started uh, reducing their holdings by letting stuff run off in, in June. Now, in September, the marks get higher. And so at some point, they'll probably be looking to sell. That could have some upward pressure on longer term rates. The reason short term rates are so high is what the Fed's doing. 
So it's more government control than market control because the Fed does effectively set short-term interest rates and those are higher. That's a, I love the perspective. Adam, I'm going to come back to you with a question related to unemployment and mobility of labor, a bit dependent on uh, interest rates and housing prices. If housing, the cost of housing keeps going up for moving. So if somebody has a 3% mortgage, but the market is now six and a half for a comparable house in a different market, they need to move for a job. It seems that we have a meaningful part of um, labor issues because labor isn't where companies need it. What does raising interest rates and lack of available housing do to the mobility of labor? It's, uh, I think it creates additional friction and it makes it harder for people to move. Um, and it makes the kind of the hurdle, you know, the financial incentive or the incentive to move has to be that much greater to incentivize those, those individuals. You think about, you know, you know, why people move and it's, it's a whole host of things, but um, if, if taxes are high and the cost of living is really high, you, that's, those are the areas where you're seeing people leave and the places that have um, lower cost of living, higher quality and, um, you know, decent weather are, are attracting individuals. I like it. Mike, I have a, another question for you, but your face looked like you might have something to add onto, uh, onto that question. Any other no, thoughts related to that? <laughs> okay, perfect. I uh, have a question for you about the industries benefiting from a strong dollar. Presumably, as our as U.S. interest rates continue to go higher, it's going to continue strengthening the U.S. dollar. Which industries domestically will be the winners, and then obviously the inverse of the losers? Right. The dollar is has been incredibly strong, and three reasons for it. First of all, the interest rate differentials. So it's been, US rates have been about 1.7% higher than German rates as an example. So that just tells you the, the incentive that foreign investors have to come to the US market. The second thing is relative strength of the economies. Again, when you look at Germany as an example, you see uh, with their energy problems and just you know potentially having rolling blackouts and things like that, just to get through the winter, it's gonna be a real challenge. So the US economy looks more stable. And third, the safe haven nature of the US economy has all sort of contributed to a strong dollar. The sectors that are hurt, it's probably easiest to go there. The sectors that are hurt by a strong dollar are, are companies with a high level of foreign sales, okay? So technology is 58% of their revenues are foreign. Materials, 55% of, of revenues. So those industries typically get hurt. Sectors that are helped by a strong dollar would be domestically oriented companies like utilities, okay? Wisconsin Energy, those kind of, you know, they don't have uh, any foreign sales. So you look at it and so the, those, those companies are helped by it. So it's interesting to watch that play out. On a broader scale, a rising dollar has favored domestic equities versus international developed and emerging markets. And so um, that continues to play out. That's great perspective. It'll be a, a fun ride to see what the next 12 months brings from that. And speaking of uh, volatile things, Adam, energy. We have a lot going on at any given time. It even seems more going on right now. 
Can you give us an update on what's happening with energy and tie it into, we'll say, the global landscape for energy and geopolitical landscape? Yeah, energy has been a very volatile um, market all year, even more so than usual. Most recently, um, energy stocks are down 15% since June. They're, they're still doing well this year. With the equity market down almost 20%, energy stocks are up uh, 60. So that's 80 percentage points of outperformance. Um, historically, that's, I mean, that's a huge amount of outperformance, but I think they're still um, attractive. If you look at their earnings growth, it's it's two or three hundred percent. So even though these stocks are up a lot, they're relative to their earnings, they're still they've gotten cheaper. With oil at eighty or ninety, um, energy companies are are very very healthy. Looking out to the future, the case for oil still looks strong. Whether it's because OPEC's talking about cutting production, the U.S. Uh, is is probably going to need to buy some to fill up the uh, reserves, and just the fundamentals of consumption continue to grow even in a in a, in a mild recession um, demand for oil will will still increase uh, I think the, um, the the bonds of energy companies are also very attractive um, on the high yield side which there's is the, where the majority of the borrowers live um, the, the yields are uh, eight nine ten percent plus um, and these companies have gotten um, their capital structures have in, improved, especially look at energy companies that own energy infrastructure, whether it's uh, a facility that stores oil or moves oil or moves natural gas. There's a tremendous amount of um, resistance to building new assets, uh, which means there's extremely high barriers to entry. So these, these companies generate a tremendous amount of cash and they're told not to invest it into the business. So that means that they return it to the shareholders and they improve their capital structures. And as a, as a bondholder and an equity holder, that's a, that's a great place to be. Um, even in an environment where there's, there's not a lot of growth, if you're getting a huge dividend, uh, four or 5% on the equity or a huge interest payment on, on the bonds <clears throat> relative to the rest of the market, that, that looks really attractive for at least part of your portfolio. I love that uh, explanation. I'm not sure all the way how I feel about a uh, company not uh, being encouraged to reinvest into the business, but to just distribute the capital. But for another conversation, uh, uh, I have a question for you, Adam, a follow-up to the equity market uh, earnings. So S&P 500 earnings going up, um, multiples generally having contracted this year partly, I suspect, because interest rates went up. Can you speak to going forward the other causes, so other than interest rates, which could cause multiples to go up or down? Um, you know, other factors um, that influence what the market is willing to pay for, for the earnings of the equity market it's going to be how confident you are in, in the future outlook. So if you're concerned that there's going to be an inflation in a year or two, you're probably going to want to pay less because you don't know exactly or have a lot of confidence what those earnings are going to be. If you are coming out of a recession and things look good and you've got a runway of five plus years of, of growth that you can get some confidence behind. And even if you pay a little bit 
too much today, you're okay because you've, the companies are going to grow into the multiple you paid. Uh, I think you're willing to pay more as well. And then there's, there's, just, there's just flows, whether it's flows into ETFs um, that push multiples up um, that are less fundamental driven. It's, it's just kind of um, gets back to the, the sentiment. How good or bad do people feel about the market? Largely influences what they're willing to pay for it. I like it. Well, well guys, this is, uh, I learned a lot from you today. I always enjoy our conversations. I'll turn it back to you for some parting thoughts in a moment. But first, I want to thank our audience for listening and joining us today. Um, this week, we're going to introduce show notes at the bottom. You can scroll down uh, in whichever service you subscribe through uh, to find the notes with links to um, some of the content we discussed, contact information for Mike, Adam, me, and the rest of our team at Nicolay Wealth Management. You can also find through those notes access to prior podcasts and webinars that Adam, Mike, and I have done. Um, we obviously hope that you enjoyed this episode and you choose to subscribe to the podcast so you could join us whenever we put these out and leave us a review. Lastly, please share it with anyone that you think might enjoy the content. I know I always enjoy hearing from Mike and Adam, and I, I hope you do too. With that, Mike, I'll turn it to you for some parting thoughts. With the Fed pushing up short-term rates, right now rates on anywhere from six-month treasuries to three-year treasuries are in the 3.75 to 3.9% range. That's pretty attractive for cash that you have available. You could sort of pick whether you want to invest it longer or shorter, but it's still a darn attractive rate. Yeah, Adam, parting thoughts from you. Yeah, for a number of years, we're in an environment that was often called Tina. There is no alternative, meaning um, stocks were the your best option. And a lot's changed this year. Um, for example, during that Tina environment, Stocks looking at the S&P 500, 80% of them had dividend yields that were greater than the, the two-year treasury. So you had better income and you had growth prospects uh, as well. That's all changed recently. Now less than 15% of the market has a yield higher than a two-year treasury. Um, and Mike just mentioned how, how high they are. So I would think about your asset allocation, um, talk to your ad advisor, and, and, and just make sure your position correctly for this new environment that we've transitioned to this year. Oh, man, I even learned a new acronym today. Thank you guys. And to our audience, we'll see you again soon. <laughs>